Welcome back to the draft season podcast brought to you by the nickswall.com. And today for our last podcast before the NBA draft, we have a very special edition where we are going to be breaking down our last mock draft on nickswall.com. I am your host as always, Nick Carananti, and with me a very special guest from the Nickswall, Eli Cohen. Eli, how you doing? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. It's been a long time since I've been on one of these pods, so... It's good to be back, and uh, uh, I like that it's for the draft. This feels very fitting. It kind of brings us back full circle to last year's draft. Yeah, it does, and I'm, I'm happy to have you. I would have loved to have you on earlier. I know you've been traveling a lot, but I'm glad we finally got you in here to, to talk about it. You and I participated in this mock draft together, so I could not ask for anyone better to be on here with me to go over it. All right, and before we get right into – our mock draft. I just want your general thoughts as an overview of this draft class. It's been talked about a lot. It's been covered to death. Where do you land on it? Well, I mean, like everyone talks about how it's a weak draft. We've heard that basically since the beginning of the year. And I think that it's probably true to an extent. There's not a lot of like superstar star in the waiting diamond in the rough type people, but the more I've watched it, the more I've kind of grown to love this class in a weird way, not in the way that I loved last year's class where there were just stars and role players at every turn, but there's just a lot of weird, funky talents, and a lot of them are probably going to go to weird situations that don't quite fit them, but I think some of them will end up in places where they can kind of maximize that unique quality they have and... I think we're going to get some really fun players out of this draft. Even if we don't look back on it and say like, Oh, it's a super strong draft. I think, you know, I think it's going to be like an average class. And I think that there's going to be some interesting talents that come out of it. Yeah. And I think the reason why it's looked at as a weaker class compared to, you know, usual besides the fact that last year's was a generational class and next year has Wemby and Scoot is just, Two things. There's not a clear-cut superstar in this class, right? When you're looking at the top of the draft, and we'll, we'll talk about those options, but a lot of those are being looked at as high-end role players. And then when you get deeper, you have a lot of, as you said, like unique players that have one really strong role or situation, right? And there's going to be a lot of context, and we're seeing that and how the draft is talked about with a lot of teams being looked at as wanting to trade down or trade out if one guy is not there. It's definitely different than a, a normal class. But I do think there are a lot of fun players, and I'm excited to talk about them with you. So let's get into it, and let's just start right at the top of the class. In our mock draft, you had the Orlando Magic, and you had the number one pick. So go ahead and tell us about that. Well, as we've heard for the last couple of weeks, the Magic seem to be going back and forth between Jabari Smith and Chet Holmgren. And 
you know, Jabari came out of the gates as like the very clear cut number one, they're going to take him. And it seems like Chet might be gaining a little bit of steam over the last week or so. He worked out for them. He was, you know, seen in Orlando Magic shorts, pumping a little iron. So uh, I decided to go a different route and take Paolo Bancaro, who I think is just as good as those guys. I've had, for the entire year, I've had this as a four-player top of the class with the aforementioned three and Jaden Ivey. And to me, it all just came down to fit and to roll. Like, I think Jabari is going to be really awesome as like a complimentary guy playing off a high upside scorer, some, someone like Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Jalen Green can play defense, can space the floor, can work on his game, you know, adding the handle slowly over time. Chet's similar, but, you know, in his own very unique ways. What the Magic, to me, are lacking is a top scoring option. Like, I love their collection of players. I love Wagner. He had a great year last year. I love Suggs as like a guy who can play off of people with a little bit more gravity, can defend, can hopefully, I think he's going to figure out the shot. Fultz is my guy. I think he's going to make a huge comeback. They've got Wendell Carter. They've got Mo Bamba. But none of those guys project to be like a top scoring option. And maybe you can say Paolo's not going to be the top scoring option on like a championship team. But the Magic are nowhere near a championship team. They need to get someone who can be sort of a focal point, a, a hub, and between his scoring ability and his passing ability, to me, like, Bancaro is a pretty easy choice. Like, I think he's a seamless fit. Like, between him, Carter, and Wagner, you're going to have one of the most skilled front courts in the league. They're going to be able to pass, shoot, score. I think the defense is going to be okay. I think he's going to be insulated there. But having two guys in him and Wagner who are 6'10", can pass, shoot, and defend, I think is, like, that's the dream. Yeah, I'm actually surprised that people aren't talking about that fit as much because they really don't have a clear scoring option, as you said. And everybody's just assumed it's going to be Jabari, who nobody really projects to be that. So as you said, I mean, and I do like Jabari, but he's his most likely outcome is that complimentary shooting scorer. And he brings a lot as a 6'10 shooter. But he's not going to be the number one option on a team, most likely. So why not consider Paolo, who's the one of those three that will be that? That's just surprising to me. I, as the person in this mock who had the thunder, I was shocked by your, your choice. But it makes a lot of sense. It really does. Yeah, I mean... Like you, I, I really like Jabari, and I think that he does have the potential to become more of a shot creator. But it feels like Paolo kind of came into the year as the number one option, and then it just became like a game of, okay, well, why, why not the other guys? Which is fair. You know, like I said, I had them all in the same tier. I think that they're all roughly equivalent talents. But that seems like it came at the expense of thinking of Paolo as the number one pick instead of, like, why can't he be like, – like, he just doesn't even get talked about in these contexts most most of the time. So, like, I, I just don't think there's a good argument that I've heard for why he can't be there, especially on a team as loaded with long defenders as the Magic are. Like, if any team's ready to insulate him, 
and, and I actually think he's going to be a fine defender. Like he's a little bit, you know, caught in between positions in terms of, you know, his body would make you think that he might want to be like put at the back line, but he's not much of a rim protector. I get that, but I, I trust him. I trust the way he reads the game. Like I think he's going to turn into a, a totally adequate defender which given his offensive skill set being monstrous is like really all he needs to be. He doesn't need to be, you know, Giannis on the defensive end to get like a ton of value for that team. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. Um, one of the guys I was, somebody I was listening to recently was talking about Orlando wanting someone that's more ready comparing Jabari to Chet, who may be obviously a little longer timeline. Is Paolo not ready to contribute offensively immediately? I mean, he's the most ready. That's sort of the whole deal with him. And I think that 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 also comes into, like, why he's viewed as being a slightly less high-ceiling prospect. Like, there's there's this thing that people do where they say, okay, well, because he can score right away and dribble right away and pass right away, that means he's closer to his ceiling, which... You know, that may play out to be true. I can't say for sure, but I don't think that him having a ready-made skill set automatically equates to him having a lower ceiling. Like, I don't think Jabari being raw automatically means he's got a higher ceiling. I think sometimes that's a little, like, false equivalency we make in our minds. Right, and when you're looking at those sort of flaws, all, all three or four of these prospects in the, the top of the class clearly have flaws, right? With Jabari, it's ball handling. With Paolo, it's defense. With Chet, I guess you'd say it's the frame. I think Paolo's defense is higher. You know, I believe that his defense will be more average than I would believe in in Jabari's ball handling. Right. I mean, could could Jabari get there and and get more shot creation possible? But I don't think that's the most likely outcome. I, I believe in Paulo being an average defender way more than that. Right. I think we saw Paolo show more on the defensive end than we saw Jabari show on the ball handling end. Just even if we're talking about in terms of projectable flashes this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so let's just continue while we're because again, these three guys are, I think, by every every single projection going to be the top three in the class. Chet to OKC, I think, is the no-brainer of the three. I think for both sides, everything we're hearing is Chet's people want him to be there. Whatever they were doing with withholding other workouts and information from other teams, like they want him in OKC. It's gonna be easier for him, him to get time. It's a better, you know, situation. I, I think it's the, the right fit, whether Presti really doesn't want to win. And I, I do want to just quickly say, like, the idea of them trying to tank, taking Chet to tank for Wemby is absurd. And, like, to, to do that or to get the worst record in the NBA, they would just have to sit their entire roster. Like, they're not going to be the worst team in basketball next year. And taking Chet wouldn't make them worse. Yeah, I mean, they were competitive this year. Yeah. 
So unless they're just going to sit giddy and SGA out, I mean, we'll see what happens with, with trades and Lou Dort and whatnot. Like they're not in the clear pole position for, for tanking. Now, obviously the flat and odds make it possible, but I just want to put that out there right now. Cause I've seen that thrown out of like, Oh, they're not trying to compete next year. They want Wemby. So they'll take Chet. Like, yes, I do think Chet is going to have to adjust a little more based off of the physicality in the NBA, but he's going to play, especially, you know, the thunder played Isaiah Roby at the five a lot last year. So I don't think that they're necessarily going to be worse with Chet Holmgren out there. Yeah, I mean that that was going to be my thing. Like they've run out these center lineups. Yeah, Isaiah Roby, Olivier Saar, yeah. you know Moses Brown, Muscala, uh, like Muscala. Yeah. So and the fact that what they needed the most desperately is you know some form of defensive competency. Like they they played good good basketball for stretches of the last. Well, the last two years, really, because the two years ago, they had to sit out Horford because him and SGA were too dominant for what they wanted to happen. Uh, so I, I think that just by virtue of adding someone who is going to come in and make an impact defensively, like, it doesn't really matter if he only scores, you know, 10 points a game. That's going to change the outlook of that team. Like, they're going to come in with multiple good defenders for the first time you know, maybe like since they decided to blow it up. And so I, I think that there's no way that they don't get like at least a few wins better. Yeah. And if you look at how like Derek favors was playing off of Gideon SGA, like Chet is going to, whether it's immediate or, you know, down the line, like that's a perfect situation for him to just feast under the basket with easy looks and get in transition and, and run you know, there's been a lot of talk about them wanting him for you know, grab and go rebounds and just pushing. Like it is the best fit, I think, of these these three for them, based off of the skill sets they already have. I mean, Jabari is easy to fit in on any team, but you're right. They they need defense. I I believe in in Chet's defense wholeheartedly as like a legitimate defensive anchor. And if they get that here going forward, they still have all their draft capital. They, they have other picks in here to fill in some of the other needs at the wing. It, I mean, that that's so seamless, I think, for them. And then that leaves really uh, Jabari for, for Houston, I guess. Theoretically, you can, you can view Ivy on this tier. Uh, the idea of, of Jaden Ivey, Jalen Green is a lot of fun. Offensively, at least. Uh, but I, you can't see Houston taking any of anyone that's not one of those three bigs. Right? And if it's, they want Paolo by all, by all reports, but if it's Jabari, Jabari fits, you know, gives Jalen Green a shooter, gives them someone that plays defense. Because I, I do want to say, like, Paolo to, to Houston seems very likely. And people keep talking about the offensive trio of Shingun, Jalen Green, Bancaro. But everything you said about Bancaro fitting in Orlando because of the, the long defenders they have around him is the exact opposite in Houston. 
So I think with that being said, Jabari would be the best fit for them to just get a long defender in there and someone that can shoot and play off the ball next to Jalen Green. Um, any thoughts on, on Jabari Smith there? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with what you said. For what it's worth, like, if I'm Houston and Paolo is there, like, I I don't really care about the defense right now. Like, I think the defense is something you'll be able to build over time, try to get some, like, some wing defenders, and you've got Garuba that you took pretty high last year, and you're going to try to turn him into something. And I do think that, like, just, just get Paolo and see what you can do with him and Green, because that's a monster duo. But I think that the way that this board shook out is really the best fit for all three of these top guys. Like, I, I love Jabari in Houston. I love him next to Sangoon. He's exactly what you need. You need a weak side rim protector and a floor spacer. And, you know, Sangoon is going to find him for open looks. You've got him and Jalen Green have the potential to be, like, one of the best shooting, you know, guard forward tandems, you know, outside of Brooklyn, which is, you know, on the verge of collapsing like a dying star. I, I think that this is, and given that they have so much creation between Green, Kevin Porter, who I still think has like a ton of potential, and Shangun, like you've got a lot of passers who can really help Jabari just first year. I, I just think he should just be, you know, a 3 and D plus guy who gets to experiment a little bit with creation. You don't need to rush him into anything on that team. Like, he'll get shots for sure, but he doesn't need to be trying to create his shots out of nothing like he might on a different team. Uh, so he can really just, like, maximize that spacing and just be a, an awesome pairing. With, like, I, I love Jalen Green. Like I, I loved him last year. I had him too, and I know Mobley and Barnes were incredible, but I'm still just, like, insanely high on Jalen Green. I think he's... I think he's more likely to lead the league in scoring at some point than he is not to. Like, I just think he's got the, this crazy offensive creation upside. And so getting a guy who is an elite shooter and can be like a good versatile defender to make up for some stuff, I think is just perfect for them. Yeah. I think the knock on Jabari Smith is that people think he'll be a, he could be a good second or third best player on a championship team, but not a first best player. Right. If you're Houston, yeah. you believe you have that guy in Jalen Green to be the first best player. I think he is exactly what you want going forward. Um, that would be a wonderful fit. I want to talk about the next three picks kind of in tandem. Go a little quicker here. Uh, we spent a lot of time on the top three as they deserve. And, you know, it's a very interesting three. But the draft starts at four is what everybody is saying. You're going to hear that on draft night. You're going to hear that anywhere you go. The Kings are in the, the most interesting situation they have. Um, the fourth pick. We don't have them taking Jaden Ivey. Personally, I think they should just take Jaden Ivey. Um, what I want and what I believe you want, what I would believe most of our Listeners want is for this pick to get traded to the New York Knickerbockers. Any, any thoughts generally on, on the Kings at four and, and what they should do or what you would do in that situation? Yeah. I mean, outside of what you said, trade it to the Knicks, please, for the love of God, give us Jaden Ivy. I, I think you just have to take him. Like if you get something good in trade, 
And I mean, and by good, I mean like really good because I'm a big Jaden Ivory believer. I think he's closer to like the first best player in this draft than he is to the fifth. Um, and I, I do understand that like people are worried about whether there's redundancies with him and Fox, the fact that they took Fox and Davion Mitchell and Halliburton and they traded Halliburton, who, you know, was a better fit along both Davion and De'Aaron Fox and probably would be along Ivy too. But I think a lot, I think a lot of the conversation around him doesn't totally reflect what we saw from him and is more about sort of the archetype that we expect. Like, and and like he like he can't shoot and i think we saw over the year that like hey i mean he played off ball a good amount he was playing with a, a point guard he was playing alongside you know they've run a little bit of the offense through travion williams but we saw that he played off ball and it was fine like he's a good i know that he and fox are not the most seamless fit by any means but I think that you just have to take him and you just have to worry about sorting the fit out later. He, he is good enough to be worth overcoming the fit concerns. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, you're the Kings. You've been one of the worst franchises, both in production and also with, you know, bad luck and bad choices, right? Shout out Marvin Bagley and just all, all the things that, that the Kings have done. There's just, it's so easy to imagine the Kings passing on Jaden Ivey and then him hitting his ceiling somewhere else. And just more like articles about, well, remember when the Kings didn't take Jaden Ivey? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think Jaden Ivey does have the most superstar upside of this class. I, I see it so easily of, you know, his athleticism just, getting to that level we saw him in possibly the worst contextual situation in college that it could have been right in a too big system that slowed things down and he played off ball and they ran through through the bigs and he still was able to make some just unbelievable plays when you're watching back like it makes no sense that he's able to do that and that was with no spacing and getting him in a situation with NBA spacing and more up-tempo system, like it's there and they need to do it. But in this situation, we just haven't taken Keegan Murray, which is interesting to me. So I think it's, it's very realistic. And there's a lot of reports that they like Keegan Murray at four, if they stay, I'm not even sure. I, I do like Keegan Murray quite a bit. I don't know if I love him next to, to Sabonis personally. I don't know exactly. I guess we're just running that as the four or five. Um, I think it's interesting. Do you have any thoughts on that fit? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely interesting. I think Keegan is a good player. It's kind of funny. Like, I don't think Keegan Murray is Harrison Barnes by any means, but it isn't that dissimilar from, like, just keeping Harrison Barnes and playing him alongside Sabonis. Um, obviously it's not the direction I would go, but they, they do need wings. They need kind of like these combo three fours, um, you know, that aren't Justin holiday and Harrison Barnes. And 
he he brings shooting and he brings defense. Like I, I could see like a Davion Mitchell, Keegan Murray pairing being a really fun two-way pairing in a few years. They're both kind of like older, tough defenders. If Davion's like shooting that he showed in the second half of the season kind of holds up, like I think that there's stuff to work with there. And I think that it's not without merit, but I just, you know, it's not the direction. If you're not going to get Ivy for the Kings, it's not the direction I would go. I think that I would would try it to the Knicks. Cause I would trade it to the Knicks. Exactly. Or I would go for, you know, like a, an upside play, like Shaden Sharp, even someone like if I, if I, if they fall in love with AJ Griffin, like he's, he's got a lot of, you know, a lot of concerns as well, but you could talk yourself into like, Oh, well, what, what do Fox and Mitchell need next to them is an absolutely elite shooter. You know, there's ways you could go. Yeah. And I, but, I would personally believe, you know, I would see, AJ way more than Shaden Sharp there because you do have to think about everything we've heard about the Kings really putting a lot of pressure to win now, right? Which is a weird thing to do when you're the Kings. And if they want to get into the play-in, I guess that's what they're pushing for. And a guy like Keegan Murray is more ready. But it's, it's a little odd. I think AJ Griffin would kind of be the the hedge, the shooting is immediate and the upside is still plausible. Whereas, you know, someone like Shaden Sharp wouldn't be, it's, it's definitely a little odd. And then you also have to consider like there's rumors that there's a, a John Collins trade out there, not including the fourth pick, right? A Harrison Barnes, John Collins kind of led trade. I, John Collins. And then also taking Keegan Murray makes no sense to me. Yeah, and we have to. I would say that a uh, Fox, AJ Griffin, John Collins, Sabonis, four-man group would make Davion Mitchell like the backline defender at six foot. Like those shoulders are gonna be sore from carrying that defensive unit. Well, that would be fun for a lot of reasons, for good and for bad. That would be fun. But I guess that's also why you take. Keegan Murray, because you do have no other defenders, right, outside of Mitchell, especially if you're trading Harrison Barnes. And I don't know. I think the the counterpoint to that is instead of a team that's putting weird pressure trying to win now, you have the Pacers who are in, like, a weird retooling system, I guess. Like, they're theoretically blowing it up. Everything, yeah. Woj was talking about how Brogdon is almost definitely being traded almost immediately. Right. And they're still considering Miles Turner trades. And for the last five years, they've been considering Miles Turner's trades. So they want to get some young talent. They have Halliburton, they have Chris Duarte. Um, I took Shaden Sharp there because they have a couple of solid complimentary players. And why not take the swing at a star? That was my thought. Do you have any thoughts on the Pacers in general? And I, we will talk Malcolm Brogdon to the Knicks in just a second. Yeah, I actually really like where the Pacers are at. Um, and I think that they, I think that whichever direction they go in the draft, they're in a pretty good spot. I think Isaiah Jackson showed a lot this year and I'm, I'm really excited about seeing him in year two. Um, Halliburton, 
Like I, I, I think he's a stud. Like I think he's got some things to figure out. Like he, he should be a lot better defensively than he is. But I think if you're starting with like Halliburton, Jackson, and Jackson, I think fits alongside Turner or as you know your big man that you're moving around going forward or you're building around going forward. Um, and you know, kind of to go back to your point with the Kings about not wanting to see Ivy go somewhere else and just absolutely detonate into the, the nuclear offensive weapon that he seems like he could be. One of the things with that is that both of the next two teams after them in the draft are absolute ideal fits for him. Like I love him alongside Cade, which is where he went in our mock, but he's also an unbelievable fit next to Halliburton, especially if we think that Halliburton will become like a good defender over the next few years, which I think is probably the reasonable assumption considering how smart he is and big. So if you could, you know, so, so you have sharp, which I love just like take the biggest swing possible. Why not? You have all these trade chips that you can get like another young player, someone safer, someone more established. And yeah, so I, I, I don't know. I like, I think that the Pacers are in one of the most interesting positions in the league right now because they have all these trade chips that they will get real value for uh but they've got they've got this like young core i'm not i haven't even mentioned duarte like i think he's good i would be totally fine like putting him in a package for someone else too like the one thing that they need that i like what this draft addresses is they they need someone who can be an athlete and sharp is an athlete he's not quite like the um the same level of quick twitchiness that I think they really need, like someone like Ivy is. Like he's more of like a big, explosive, off two feet kind of athlete than he is just like a burst out of nothing athlete. But I think that getting another high level shot creating guard to go with Halliburton to build around him and the defense and shooting of Isaiah Jackson would just be in a, a fascinating trio to watch moving forward. Like I don't know if it works, but. I don't see any reason why it wouldn't. Yeah, and I personally always love when a, a kid gets drafted their hometown team. And Jaden Ivey staying in Indiana would also be really cool. And Kings fans losing their mind when a Jaden Ivey, Tyrese Halliburton backcourt is like blowing up and not in Sacramento would be very humorous to me. It would be kind of beautiful. Yeah. It, that would be really, really something. As fans of the team that always gets mocked for who they didn't take or didn't get to take in, in the draft, that would be something. And then just really quickly, there are a lot of, you know, you talked about their trade chips and Brogdon seems definitely moving. I could see them holding on to Miles Turner for a little longer, but they still have that piece. They have buddy healed to move there's a real world where they get another lottery pick hopefully not from the knicks but malcolm brogdon for 10 or 11 to the wizards or the knicks have been talked about and you could do that and then really fast forward your you know your rebuild there with another another pick to go along with especially if you get a swing at a star like like shaden sharp do you have any thoughts yeah. on, on Malcolm Brogdon for 11? I uh, I do have thoughts. I would not love it. Um, 
as a guy who's always liked Malcolm Brogdon, I think he's a really good player. I think you can't really just gloss over the fact that you're trading a lottery pick for like a 30-year-old who plays 60-ish games a year. Um, like, it, if they could get Brogdon without using a lottery pick, like if you could use like the Dallas pick and some vets, sure, go for it. But that's not feasible. They, the Pacers aren't going to have any interest in taking on like two years of Evan Fournier. So I think that like in another world, like Brogdon would kind of Brogdon, the player solves a lot of the Knicks problems. But the problem is that Brogdon, the player is not playing a lot of the time. And you, then you're building like we, we, they already have Rose. They still have Kemba. They have to get off of. So you could say like, okay, do it, and then just that gives you forty to fifty games that uh, quickly is getting major point guard minutes, but not exactly the soundest team building strategy. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I like Brogdon. I like the idea of Brogdon a lot. I like everything you see about Brogdon as a person, but in reality, the um, the Malcolm Brogdon we get, who's played an average of forty four games in his career with a grain of salt with two of those being COVID impacted, but not necessarily worth the 11th pick of the draft to me, especially not where this team is. But if you're the Pacers, if you can get 10 or 11 or, you know, anywhere in that range for Brogdon, that's a huge win. So just continuing, we already talked about AJ Griffin. We have a, a weird trade here. We have Jeremy Grant, Killian Hayes and 46 to Detroit for the seventh pick. Yep, that was me. With Portland, any thoughts here? Yeah, so I I know that the, all the rumors are swirling about Jeremy Grant and Portland. I personally don't think that he's enough to get the seventh pick, even in this draft. Um, so some people might be listening to this and say, like, oh, it's an overpay. You're putting Killian in. He had, like, a decent rebound year, I think, last year. Like, he showed that he's probably, like, an NBA player. I don't know what level. Um but like for, from the Pistons' point of view, af especially after getting Ivy, who, as we said, it's just an absolute perfect counterpoint to Kate Cunningham. I, I thought that this was just like the perfect chance to like fill out the core. So now you've got Cade, Ivy, AJ, and Sadiq Bay, and then you've got Isaiah Stewart. And as I wrote in the mock, this also clears our books to just toss like the mother of all offer that DeAndre Ayton. And if you get those five as your core moving forward, just locked into place. I think that you're probably in the most enviable position of any like non warriors team, maybe out there. Like I, I love that team. I love the way that the pieces fit each other. You know, Cade and Ivy are both interesting shooters. I think Cade will shoot pretty well, despite his, you know, he didn't have great numbers this year, but I, I think he's going to figure out the shot. I think Ivy will be, an average-ish to maybe slightly below average outside shooter. And then Sadiq is just, you know, has no conscious and will just shoot as many threes as come to him and AJ too. And, you know, that's fine. They're going to be spreading the floor for two incredibly interesting and totally different drivers in Cade and Ivy. Um, so I, I just feel, you know, you just take a big swing and you just block in your core of the future and just, you know, let the chips fall where they will after that. Yeah, I mean, I think Pistons fans will be ecstatic if they get Jaden Ivey to, to go next to Cade. If you added A.J. Griffin to that, 
they would just be over the moon as they should be, right? Even if they didn't have other pieces, those three in back-to-back drafts would just be amazing because of the high upside all three hold. And then also the fit is so clean next to each other. And then you also have Sadiq Bay and Isaiah Stewart and I, the availability of cap space to, to go after eight. And I mean, they're in a good position. Just quickly running through the next, we have Matherin to the Pelicans. That makes sense, right? Duran to the Spurs, again, makes sense. Johnny Davis to the Wizards, I took. Uh, I'm a big Johnny Davis guy. I think that makes a lot of sense to me. And then we get to the Knicks, who at 11 here in our mock with Dyson Daniels still on the board, take Ochai Baji. Any thoughts here? Look, I would never, I would never dream of impugning one of our fellow TKW GMs here. So I, I, I can see the outline of why you would do this, but if this happened in real life, I may actually cry on TKW spaces. You, you will hear a grown man weeping, and I think I wouldn't be the only one. Like, again, I get it. Like this front office likes older guys who can shoot and defend. That's exactly what he is. I just really would not want that to be the pick. And I will say, I thought from the beginning, I like Dyson Daniels and I've come around on him a little more. I still don't love the fit. Agreed. The Knicks do need shooting. And I don't believe in Dyson Daniels as a shooter. I believe in the defense and the passing, but I do not believe in the shooting. Um, but a Baji at 11 would be, would be a tough pill. Uh, now trade down and take Igbaji and I'm okay. And I think that's realistic. I think there are some really interesting trade down targets for the Knicks. Um, just trying to just fill a three and D type of role. I, I wrote the profile on TKW for on Ogbaji and the more I watched him and I just, I have such a hard time seeing him not being a successful NBA player but I have a harder time being him, seeing him be an all-star. And I don't think that's what you want out of 11. Right. I mean, there's, there's a couple of things that go into this, which is a, the Dyson Daniels slide, spoiler alert. He went to 14 with the Cavs, which is a beautiful fit for him, but is probably the most unrealistic thing that happened in this draft. Other than maybe, you know, the, the trade that we just talked about with the Pistons. Uh, But the way that this board fell was not super kind to the Knicks. Daniels, I I think that I've heard that the Knicks like Daniel. That seems to be the rumor. And you probably just take him because there is the upside if he does shoot. I like you. I'm not a huge fan of the fit. Although, you know, if you believe that RJ's shot is going to continue to grow and be like a high volume shot maker, and eventually that Julius Randle is not going to be part of the picture. I get it. You can, you can survive with him being a poor shooter, but there weren't a ton of great options here. I interrupt this broadcast to say Detroit has traded Jeremy Grant to Portland for a 2025 first round pick from Milwaukee. Wow. I think I got better value. I'm shocked. Interesting. They're, 2025 for Milwaukee. 
Yeah, with a couple of swaps, a second round. Let's see. Detroit swaps 2022 second round picks, getting 36 for 46. With Portland, Denver gets a 2025 second round pick, and Portland sends the most favorable 2026 second round pick between Portland and New Orleans to Detroit. So two second round picks, a second round swap, and a Milwaukee first. Look at us breaking news live on the pod. I got to say, it seemed like our valuation might have been a, a slight bit off in yeah. terms of the trade that was made for TKW, um, which makes sense. I, I, I did not expect that to ever be in the cards, uh, trading and expiring Jeremy Grant for a top 10 pick. But that is interesting. That That's not a great pick that they got back. No, and you got to imagine it's more of cap space situation for DeAndre Eaton, I guess. For Kyrie, maybe? <laughs> Kyrie would be fun next to Cade. Could be miserable. Fun on the basketball court. Miserable off the basketball court. Yeah, it's it's interesting. That is interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, that, it, it really sounds like that's a dump. But, you know, Jeremy Grant wasn't going anywhere with Detroit. So it makes sense. And Portland just got a little bit more fun with Dane. Yeah. And now this is the world where like, all right, use seven, go get OG. And now you have an Anthony Simons Dane backcourt next to Jeremy Grant and OG on an on the wing. And I'm a little more interested in, in Portland. Yeah. And I mean, if Grant can get back to sort of his Denver, slash Philly, like just monster defensive versatility, you know, that he kind of shied away from a little bit with the added responsibility in Detroit as the main shot creator. Like I, I think it could work. I'm, I'm interested to see what they do with Nurkic and I'm interested to see what they like seven now has, you know, if they make that pick, they've got to nail that pick. Yeah. If they trade that pick, they've got to get some, they've got to get something real for it. And I still don't see OG. Like, I don't see the Raptors moving off of OG. But I, to me, that's the answer. Yeah. I mean, if they could get him, that's perfect. I agree. I, I don't think he's moving. I think uh, – like, I read the reports, and I get it, but I think it's sort of a much-ado-about-nothing kind of situation. I'm not – I don't really know that you're going to get a player – with as much value to their team as it seems like OG has to the Raptors for seven. But, you know, it's a crazy world. Things are going to happen fast. Yeah. I mean, I was just daydreaming in my mind last night of like a world where uh, the Raptors move OG and get four. And then OG goes to the Blazers and then... Uh, the Kings get like seven and Josh Hart and future picks or what, whatever, like something like that, that I was just dreaming about, you know, Jaden Ivey in Toronto. That'd be beautiful. But realistically, like I don't see an OG and Anubi move out there. Um, I don't think, I don't see like seven for John Collins, um, but it's very interesting. Portland is clearly 
going to be as aggressive as everybody wanted Portland to be. Right. This seems like the start of something. And it's worth pointing out that like Josh Hart is by no means OG Ananobi, but even if they just take someone that they think can help at seven, you know, whether it be, you know, the shooting of AJ Griffin or, you know, Matherin or Jalen Duran, I think would make a lot of sense for them given Nurkic's injury history. Like I think Josh Hart and Jeremy Grant as that defensive three, four is pretty interesting too. He, he was playing his ass off when he got there this last year. Um, I don't, I know some people like are a little bit higher on him than me. I think, I, I think he can be a perfect fourth or fifth starter for you though. Yeah. Agreed. So it'll be interesting what they do. If, if they make any more moves, I guess we'll see. But getting back to our draft, we wrapped up with the Knicks there with Obaji. The Thunder, I took Ushman Jang, which just makes sense to me as an upside swing for, for them. Rounding out the lottery, we had Tari Eason in Charlotte, and then Dyson Daniels' slide finally ended in Cleveland, which would really be a perfect fit, even if it's probably like seven picks too high. Um Going from there, we're not going to go through every pick. Just looking at a couple of the the more interesting picks. Mark Williams at Charlotte, I think, would be more surprising if that didn't happen. We have Jaden Hardy at 17, which I think is fairly interesting. And then when we have one more slide happening that you could argue is maybe more shocking than Dyson Daniels, and this was a, a wild trade that – I took part in with the Utah Jazz, who are not in this draft, do not have any picks right now, trading Rudy Gobert for Nikola Vucevic, Patrick Williams, and 18. And then took Jeremy Sohan at 18. And like, I would love this for Utah. Um, if you're going to move off Gobert, you get Patrick Williams and, and Jeremy Sohan as younger far more versatile players to kind of rebuild and you get Vucevic to try to continue to compete now. Any, any thoughts on that trade? I mean, I love it. I love the craziness of it. Um, in terms of value, like it's, it's hard to say because Gobert is so polarizing. I think it's probably not the best value unless you think Patrick Williams is, you know, I, I I have I'll just say that I've I've wondered sometimes if Patrick Williams is more of an idea than an actual player, but I do think that his combination of shooting and defense is really interesting, and he showed some interesting pull up flashes before he got hurt. Um, and I lo- I do love the idea of him and Sohan together on the wings. I think it's it it's just beautiful. Um, this would be an interesting team. I'm not sure that it's going to ease Donovan Mitchell's mind much, but it is at least giving him a different look. It seems like, you know, maybe just mixing in some fresh blood and getting some young defensive players to put around him and just saying like, you know what, you are unquestionably the guy you and Gobert don't have to like kind of vie for top dog status. It's interesting. It, I, I can see the vision and I I love the swing because 
you know, you you got to do something. If you don't want Donovan Mitchell to leave, it seems like there's got to be something that happens. It seems like the straw is getting close to breaking the camel's back. And, like, I think you could probably get a better player, just like a better right this second player. But in terms of upside, like, I, Sohan and Patrick Williams are exactly the kind of guys that this league is trending towards. They can both handle the ball a little bit. They can both switch to multiple positions. Like, I, I think Sohan is, is like, has the potential to be an absolute, like, stud of a Swiss Army knife type guy. And I just want to take one quick step, one step backwards, just to uh, comment on Jaden Hardy going to the Rockets, because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bit of a Jaden Hardy fan. I, I'm not quite as high as I, I've seen people have him like top ten. I'm not quite there, but I do think that he is pretty wildly underrated by a lot of draft talk. And I think it, it's this weird thing where. He started off as the number one, like as a possible number one contending, like a guy for the number one pick. And then immediately everyone was like, oh no, no, that's not what this is. And he started out of the gates really bad. And I like I totally get that. I like watched those games. I was not impressed at all. Even though he was still, even at that time, was like putting up numbers, but that was all it seemed like it was. He was putting up numbers. I think his second half of the season is not getting factored in into in a lot of people's analysis like or at least it's be, being much lighter weighed than the first half of the season it seems like the first half of the season it being weighed much more heavily and it, it's interesting to me in comparison with a guy like like Usman Jang who also had a really terrible first half of the season and then a really interesting second half of the season and Jang seems to be getting a lot of credit for that and shooting up draft boards whereas Hardy seems to be getting a tiny bit of credit for that for like fixing some of the mistakes like he showed more passing he showed more defense he got more efficient but it doesn't seem to have the same effect and i wonder if it's because when you start out so high as like a potential number one pick and fall it's a lot harder to work your way back up than it is if you come in as sort of like an unknown and then work your way up like i think that that's an easier path to climb all of that to say hardy in houston would be like Hooper heaven and I, that, that's just my my bottom line like him alongside KPJ and Jalen Green is like an absurd amount of just irrational shot chucking confidence and just for like the social experiment aspect of it I would love that yeah I mean it's a a lot of fun arguably a little redundant Maybe too much fun. They they also have they still have Josh Christopher from last year's draft. Another Hooper. Shout out Jake up for Dyson, sure. Dyson Knicks. Yeah. They look. One of my coworkers always says, if you're gonna be a bear, be a grizzly. And that is kind of I think the the Rockets mindset with Hoopers. Right? If you're gonna be like Hooper Heaven, then be Hooper Heaven. Get everyone. Right. We hear about all these teams trying to like load up on, you know, six, eight versatile wings. You know what? Forget that. I want to see a team of all like six, six shot creating chucker that just give me one team like that. Why not? You got to zig when they zag. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, I'm going to go through these next couple of picks because I've got three of them in an article that's coming out the same day as this podcast. So check out that article on Jalen Williams, Marjan Beauchamp, 
and Dalen Terry, who we have going 20, 21, and 23, respectively, in this class. Any thoughts on any of those guys? I love Jalen Williams. I really do. We, we have uh, I like going to the Spurs, and I just love every single thing about that. It's perfect. I, like, I, I really think that he is going to be just an awesome player. I, I don't think he's going to be like a star, but he's an, a really impressive passer. Like that's just the thing that pops out the most. Like he, he's a, a very good shooter. He's got a great frame. I, I know he wasn't the most impressive defender, but I think there's no reason to not think he, he won't be like, you know, an above average defender. But I, I really love his passing, especially on the break and in pick and roll. I think that him next to DeJounte Murray, next to Devin Vassell, even next to Josh Primo, there's so many different different like ways you can arrange that to just make fascinating lineups. Uh, and you know, if you, if you have him, Murray and Vassell as your one, two, three, like that's a switch. Everything. Everyone can create a little bit, you know, DeJounte is not the best shooter, but you know, I, I really just think that William is going to be a stud wherever he goes. I would love him at 16 in Atlanta. I would love him, you know, at 15, even I, like, I think he'd be a really good fit next to LaMelo, but the Spurs, you know, they just keep, I wrote this in the, the piece cause this was my pick, but they just like keep adding, you know, you got Keldon Johnson too. They just keep adding these like dribble pass shoot guys. And eventually like that's going to build into something. Yeah. And you still have Primo who you can believe is a very high upside guy with that sort of skill set. It's, it's interesting. It's definitely interesting. I would really like it. We have Bochamp going to the Sixers in a Matisse Thibel trade, which from what Woj was saying yesterday, seems more realistic that they would move 23 with Thibel instead of moving Thibel 421. But we have the Sixers taking Bochamp and, and Dale and Terry, who both seem exactly what the Sixers have been looking for, if they could possibly do that, hit their upside. Yeah, I know some people are really, I know some people are really high on Bochamp. I'm a little bit lower, but I think you know, in in the twenties, for a team like Philadelphia or even like Denver, who traded out of it, you know, I I, I think that he's going to be an interesting player. I don't fully buy the shot, but I think just in terms of like cutting and playing defense and just being like a little bit of a master of chaos, I, I like the. I like the element he would bring to Philadelphia, like more athleticism around Harden and Embiid, more open court stuff. I think I think it's a great swing. Yeah, and I think similar kind of idea with Dale and Terry as well, right? It's more size. It's someone that can create. And I think just exactly what they need there. Uh, I want to talk about 24, which is the Bucks taking Patrick Baldwin Jr., who I still believe in. I mean, you and me are in like lockstep on this pod. I, I'm yeah. right there with you. Yeah, I I really, really like Patrick Baldwin a lot. And I haven't given up. I think Milwaukee would probably be the best outcome for him. And he gives them more shooting. And I always like, you know, played it in Milwaukee at 
college, stays in Milwaukee for the NBA, gets to play next to Giannis. And again, a 6'10 shooter helps teams. I, I, I think where his value was so much worse because of the context that he was in. And I, I respect him playing for his dad and I, I wish that went better for him. Uh, I think there's a really interesting like debate of like, if you switch him and AJ Griffin and AJ Griffin went to Milwaukee and PBJ went to Duke, where would they be in the draft? Right. I think there's some interesting conversations. Unfortunately, what happened happened and he did not look great, but it was the wrong role. It was the wrong situation. I think he can still get back to a, a high upside role player. Yeah. He's not going to be like the, you know, the top option that we thought he was going to be, but I, I would be surprised if, if he went in the twenties, if he didn't like eventually carve out a little bit of a role for himself, you know, like I think going top 10 would actually hurt him a little bit, like kind of in the way that it did Kevin Knox, like if Knox had gone in the twenties, you, he might be like, I don't know. He might be viewed a little bit differently because he doesn't have that weight of expectations. And I think Baldwin going to a place where all he has to do is shoot and like, you know, not collapse the defense when he's on the defensive end. I think that's going to be perfect for him. I, I would love for them to land a, a guard of some sort because their guard rotation was just so, so lacking something during the last week's playoffs. So I, I think that if they could get like Jaden Hardy or Jalen Williams or even Dalen Terry, like I think that they should be targeting like a kind of a two guard, but I think that PBJ just in terms of like the hometown kid, the guy who brings like more shooting and size, love that fit. Yeah. And you know, with the grain of salt for this mock, like we are hearing more and more that a lot of these picks in the twenties are for sale, right? There was reports yesterday about people wanting to move to the 2023 draft and get out of this, especially like you just talked about a couple of guys that, Milwaukee should probably be targeting that we have going right in front of them. So we don't have a lot of two guards available at this pick. So maybe that would be a, a, a trade out candidate. Uh, Dallas did trade out of 26 to Houston, which we did this mock before that pick, but we had, I had Kendall Brown going there. I think Kendall Brown is very Dallasy, but I think he fits a, a good role in in Houston away from the Hooper side. Cause they're either gonna have guys that play no defense or guys that play no offense. Yeah, it's a good so, symbiosis. Yeah. So we can add him to Usman Garuba, who I'm still high on, and Sean Tate. And let's let's do it. Uh finishing out the first round. Walker Kessler to Golden State, I guess, is interesting theoretically, um, depending on how you feel about James Wiseman. Yeah, I'm not a big Walker Kessler fan. Um, I'm, I'm very Kessler personally. Yeah, I, I don't have him as a first round guy. I guess if you buy the shooting, maybe you could see him as sort of like a Golden State guy, but he doesn't really fit to me with what they are going for. And I think, like, I still think that Wiseman is going to come back and be something for them next year. Uh, and, you know, there's all these rumors about them trying to trade out of this. But, uh, you know, he just accepted a green room invite. I don't want to rain on his parade. I think that might be setting him up for disappointment a little bit. But 
you know, it, it, it's hard to be mad. It's kind of like, you know, you can, you can whiff on the 28th pick and it's not that big a deal. Yeah. I also, I felt a lot of pressure drafting for Memphis. And I took EJ Liddell at 22, Bryce McGowan at 29. you have any McGowan's thoughts? I love it. I think that's like, yeah, get him there for sure. He is like, he's, he's you know, Dylan Brooks without the defense. Um, I, think, I think that getting, like, he, he could have top 15, probably not top 10, but top 15-ish upside. I think that he's kind of a little bit underrated um, and just adds more fun to a super fun team. Yeah, I think a lot of people are mocking this pick to be a Tyus Jones replacement, whether it's Andrew Nemhart, Kennedy Chandler, a point guard of that vein. I think it's a lot more fun to just be like the the Grizzlies take fun, cool players and it doesn't always make sense, but it works. Mm-hmm. And I, I really enjoyed that fit in my mind in the gallons. Um, again, that finishes the first round. I took Kennedy Chandler, who I'm super high on for the Pacers. I figure we took uh, Shaden Sharp and Tyrese Halliburton. So having a more floor general type point guard made sense to me. Wendell Moore to Magic again. It's it, a lot of these guys are just logical, right? Like it's a a three point shooter for teams that need shooting. But there's one in particular that I'm just gonna clear out for, and it was not even your pick. So at number thirty three for the Toronto Raptors, we have them taking Dominic Barlett from Overtime Elite. The floor is yours. All right. I appreciate that because, uh, as you know, and as people who you know follow me on Twitter know, I've been banging the Dom Barlow drum for the last couple of weeks. I think that he is absolutely asleep in the draft. Like I basically exclusively see him mocked in like the fifties, and I don't really understand it outside of just him being kind of hidden away at OT and people not really knowing what to do with that. The guy's six nine, seven three wingspan one of the like six or seven youngest guys in the draft. And I just, I love his game. I love the way he sees the floor. He can shoot. I think he, he's got some stuff he's got to work on in terms of like cleaning up his footwork. He, he does this weird thing. He spreads his feet, not that unlike AJ Griffin, which leads to him like stepping on the line a lot um, and like not getting enough power from his legs. I think like a lot of the time when you see him miss, it really seems like he's not getting enough power from his legs. But he's got a really nice looking shot. I think that those are some like really easy tweaks to turn him into about like a like I would be surprised if he wasn't kind of a thirty eight to forty percent shooter at the next level. He's a really good passer. Uh, he's not like a super athlete. He's not gonna like explode and jam on a lot of people, but he's really, really fluid. And I think that that shows up in his half court defense a lot. He like he was defending. Amen and Osir, I'm not, I think it's Osir, how you pronounce it, but the Thompson twins at OTE, who are both consensus top 10 guys and like all universe, all eternity athletes. These guys are like some of the most insane athletes that have come around. And he was defending them both in space on an island and like holding his own. And I thought that like 
I know that the OTE context is not ideal, but that to me was like a real indication because those are like not just NBA level athletes, but those are those guys are going to be elite NBA athletes. Um, so like, so yeah, he's not a rim protector much, but I think in terms of someone who's going to come in, hit shots, move the ball around, and not just swing passes, but like attack and hit shooters in the pocket, and then just play good switchable defense. Like, I, I, I don't really see how he's not kind of like in the EJ Liddell, Jake LaRavia range. Like, he's very much that kind of player to me. And like, he's, I don't think he's going to be a superstar. But I think when I watch him, I think like that's a guy that I want as like the fifth starter on a good team. So would you take him at 33 where we have him? I would absolutely take him at 33. How do you like the fit in Toronto? <laughs> It's interesting. It kind of fits their like um, all six nine everything kind of situation. Um, like you can have him as like the you know the shooting guard next to Scotty Barnes at the point. Um, I don't think that that's like the team that I would put him on as like the most ideal candidate. But I think you know if if anything, I think given their track record of developing shooters, like I would. I'd be super excited to see what they could do with him because he actually has a baseline as a really good shooter. And we will talk about OTE in a second when we get to John Montero. Uh, I will try not to talk about the Thompson twins too much. We'll wait until at least Friday when the draft is over to start on, on that. I, I love the Thompson twins so much, but we will move on. Um, a lot of fine picks here. Spaniolo, who you could listen to on our international podcasts or prospects podcast for the Thunder as a stash. Josh Minot for the Magic makes sense as like a swing. Johnny Juzang at 36, like why not? Which now this pick just got traded to uh, Detroit. So, but then we hit a fun little stretch here I want to talk about, which is the Kings at 37 taking Christian Coloco, who I personally have as the next big on my board after Mark Williams. I'm ahead of Walker Kessler. Same. And then we have Jean Montero to the Spurs. Do you have any thoughts on, on Montero? I do have thoughts on Montero. Thank you for asking. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan of Montero too. I think I, I think that Montero has more warts than Barlow does. And I I very much understand why people have concerns about him. He's a small guard. He's got I think he has good passing instincts, but he misses a lot of reads. Like he, that's definitely something that's been a work in progress, but I do think that he is progressing, which matters. Like it, it's kind of similar to what the conversation around whether or not Jaden Ivey is a point guard. Like Jaden Ivey has a lot of work to do if he's going to become a point guard, but also we've seen that work already in progress and we've seen him making those steps. And I think that when you're talking about development, that matters. So I think Montero though is interesting because you're talking about a draft that has a real lack of people who can create advantages out of nothing. 
And Montero to me, outside of like the top few guys, is one of the one of the people who can really do that. And I think he's got interesting shot creation. Uh, like he also has to iron out some of the shooting stuff. Like he misses shots he should make, but I really do think that he's going to shoot it at the next level. He's an interesting and feisty defender. And like I said before, like he, he can definitely pass the ball. So I actually, I think he's a first round pick in this draft. I think he's a swing worth taking, even if like, you know, like what we were talking about with Walker Kessler, like if you take a swing on Montero in the mid twenties and it doesn't work out, no one's going to care. But if you take a swing on Montero in the twenties and it does work out like that, that can be a big boon to you. That can, he can be, he's probably not going to be a starting point guard, but like that sort of Dennis Schroedery kind of sixth man change of pace guard. Like, I think that he has a lot of potential there. Um, it's just going to take a little bit of work, but like you go back and you watch his FIBA tape and he's just, it's like comical. He's carving people up. He's dropping like 40 balls and, you know, stealing every pass, every ball that goes into a passing lane. Like I, I love watching him and I know he's got his flaws, but I think, I think that there's something there. I, I would, I would bet on him. Yeah. It's also really easy to project a flawed prospect to a strong franchise with a good, you know, development track record. I'm like, oh, the Spurs would be fine. But it does make sense, right? You would feel better for him both with the draft position, putting less pressure, and also being with the Spurs who, A, obviously do have a great developmental track record and, and system there, but also they wouldn't put a lot of pressure and they could put him in the G League like Primo and give him time. So I, I would love that personally. And then what well, I think it's interesting because he came in, he was like considered, you know, a probably like top 15 to 20 ish guy. And the, and, and the, like the, the common consensus was basically like, there's these things he needs to work on. He needs to work on the passing. He needs to work on, you know, the defense. And I think that he did that. Like, I think when you watch the tape, like those things improved and yet he plummeted down these boards. And I think part of it is that people are, people just see small guard now and they're like, all right, second round. And I think that that's sort of what's happening with Kennedy Chandler as well. And then I think part of it is the OTE thing where like no one really knew what to do. Like he's playing against high school. Like what are you supposed to do about that? Like, that's fair. I get it. It's a really, really tough eval. It's weird. It's weird. The, the context is weird, and he's weird in the context. That, that's why, like, I like Don Barlow because, to me, like, even in the weird context, you can you can see the outline of what he's what he would be, and like, you just like take that role and take it to the next level. It makes sense. Like, he is much more of a tricky person to like pin down what he's going to be at the next level. Yeah, absolutely. Um, want to move through these quickly. I took Kamigate in Utah after trading Gobert, really just for the irony of bringing in another French five. <laughs> I ultimately am very high on, on Kamigate. I think he's going to be really solid um, just as a lob threat, rim running big uh, that loves dunking on people. Uh, Londis Williams we've talked about before i believe you're you're high on him is that correct i i like him i want to see like he's a little like 
inconsistent in the things that he does really well. Um, but then again, that's why he's, you know, we're talking about him in the 40s and not the, the teens or 20s. Um, but I definitely think like in the 40s, he is a really interesting upside swing. Yeah. And then we get into this really, really fascinating stretch at right past Orlando's Williams. We're at 41 here with the Pelicans taking Max Christie. Um, someone that I'm pretty low on, but also you could talk about as a high upside guy, someone that had a lot of hype coming into the year, probably should have went back and didn't. Uh, there's theories out there about him having a promise or, you know, where he's going to go. Then you have the other Jalen Williams, who I also love, just like a high IQ charge taking big. Great passing too. Fantastic passer. Uh, going to Minnesota. And then probably our, our next biggest slide after Dyson Daniels and Jeremy Sohan is Blake Wesley, who realistically might be around the 20th pick in the draft. We have going at 43 to the Clippers. Any thoughts there? I mean, I don't really know how he fell this far, um, but I do just absolutely love, like you could say it's sort of like redundant with the Clippers, but I love them just getting like, another defense and shot creator type guy. Like they've got Norm Powell, they've got obviously Kawhi and PG, um, Covington, who, you know, they would just have an absurd collection of shot creating wings. I know Covington doesn't create shots, but you, you know what I mean? Like they have, this would give them like probably the deepest collection of shot creating wings who can also play defense in the league. Um, and, you know, if BJ Boston hits, that's another one. Like, I, I would love this for them. I don't think it's – I think this might actually be, like, like, once we get past the Dyson Daniels, the Jeremy Sohan, this is probably, like, the one that is the most unrealistic and the most kind of, you know, the, the, val the value here would just be astronomical. All he has to do is kind of iron out the three-point shot, which I think is just kind of more a nature of, like, volume and usage than it is, like, the shot being broken by any means. Right. So moving on for the Hawks at 44, I took Gabrielle Pushida, who that has read my international prospects piece or listened to the podcast knows where I stand on Gabrielle Pushida. Uh, he is someone that I would like for the Knicks at 42. In our mock, we'd have the Knicks trading out of 42 and getting 40 and 50. So we'll talk about that in just a second. Any, any Pushida thoughts? I mean, I love him coming in to be mentored by the rooster, Danilo. Um, but yeah, I mean, he'd just be a fun, a fun player to have, just dunks and threes. Um, I think he would give them a little bit of the edge that I think that they need. Like, I think that getting a little bit of that kind of cocky attitude, you know, from someone other than Trey, obviously they've got Trey who's got the cockiness in bunches, but I, I think that he would be a really good kind of like, personality on floor personality i don't know anything about him off the floor but yeah love the fit he's he's a ton of fun to watch uh there's a lot of rumors of basically everybody on the hawks being available for trades outside of trey young and deandre hunter uh bogdanovich's name has been coming out a little more he seems like a really solid bogdanovich replacement and just keep the 
the Euro wings coming there. We have 46, the Blazers. Oh, this article is now updated to say that this is already the, yeah, this was the Pistons. This was the, the Blazers. And now it's actually the Pistons. Wait, no, sorry. This was traded in our mock draft and also has been traded in real life. Yes. Okay. So that's where we're at now. Uh, Christian Brown, any, any thoughts on Christian Brown? Love it. I think for, for the Blazers, you know, another kind of like defender, I think the, the, I think you can get the shot to a serviceable level and, I think like I, you just gotta you know he's someone you love the fire that he plays with like I think he he'd fit well with Dame with kind of like the the culture that they have um, chance for him to be like a real upside play if if it all works out not as like a a shot creator necessarily but just as kind of like a good three and D kind of wing. Yeah, I I have him thirty thirty one on my board. I see him as like a really solid role player pick. I don't see a super high upside, but he works really hard. Um, he's a really good athlete, or as a sneaky athlete, as I'm sure he will be called on the draft broadcast. <laughs> Jim Rat. Jim Rat, hardest worker, first one in, last one out. I'm sure of it. Uh, I, I think he's a really solid piece to add there. Um, Ryan Rollins, I took for the Grizzlies because, again, super fun. I love Ryan super Rollins. Fun. I would love that. But then really where I want to wrap up here, we have a couple of picks left. We are at 48 where we have the Knicks drafting again in this mock, the Knicks traded down from 42 to 48 and 50. That seems pretty realistic with how we've seen Leon Rose operate on draft night previously, kind of wheeling and dealing and, and getting more, more assets and trading, trading down and getting more picks in the future. At 48, we have them taking Travion Williams. Go ahead. I love it. I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about the fit. Like they, especially with the rumors of, you know, the Knicks working on an extension with Mitchell Robinson, they've got to unload Noel. I think it seemed like they're working hard too. They've got Taj, they've got Jericho Sims, who's really fun. But I think Travion is a really interesting piece. Like he is just so fun. He's a great passer. I think like he showed some of that shooting that you want to see at like the combine and things like that. I think, I think the shot is workable. I'm not sure that it's going to ever reach like a super high level, but if the question is like really comes down to defense with him, but at 48, if you can get someone who can just, who can pass, who's just an absolute bully on the block and who has the potential to stretch it out a little bit, I think that's a win. I love it. And you know, I'm all for the Knicks adding fun players. Yeah, I agree. And it, this would be a weird fit because there's a world in which they take a Mitch replacement at 11. Uh, seems less likely now with everything we're hearing. I don't think you're getting your, your Mitch replacement at 48 if he's leaving. But I love Travion a lot. He'd be a ton of fun in the G League for sure. In Summer League, just throwing dimes one of the more innovative passers in the draft and make some just 
unbelievable reads. And I, I love them. No, you can go bolder than that. I know you want to. Give me your I, hottest Travion take. I do want to. All right. He has the, the best passing vision in the class. Love it. I love it. And I, I do really believe that. I mean, he just sees things that are remarkable. And there's not a ton of really high-level passers in this, in this class. And he is that. And if this were a decade ago, if this were two decades ago, I think Travion Williams is a top 10 pick, top five pick maybe, right? Just an absolute beast with an elite vision, fantastic footwork. Uh, I, I would love this at 48, even if it's not really the mo- most logical fit, but why not get a really fun player? And then at 50, we have Tyrese Martin for the Knicks. Yeah, any thoughts here? Not particularly. Um, I didn't really watch a ton of UConn, if we're being honest. But uh, from what I've seen, you know, seems like a serviceable pick. It's not something that would excite me. But, uh, you know, I can see getting, you know, just adding more. Like, the, the, the one thing that the Knicks really need is wings. Um, they're kind of loaded everywhere right now with these like weird roster gluts that need to be shaken out. Um, and getting Oshai, who I don't really think can play the three, and Travion, who I think is basically you know stuck for maybe the four, but probably just a five. Um, so getting getting a wing who can shoot and play some defense, you know, it makes sense. Yeah, personally, I would rather Keon Ellis who we have going two picks Same. at 52. I, I really like Keon Ellis a lot. I don't know if I like Keon Ellis just because of the Herb Jones effect, but I, I do really like No, he's, he's good. He's real. I could see him really popping. Yeah, and he is, I think, exactly kind of what you're talking about with the Knicks. Uh, you know, he's someone that... He's going to play defense. He's a really good cutter. And if the Knicks do trade down, I would love Keanu Ellis. I forgot. I got very confused looking through this mock because two teams lost their, their pick, so there's no 54th or 55th pick. Hugo Besson, do you have any Besson takes? Um, I started the year thinking I was going to like him a little bit more than I ended up liking him, but I think he's absolutely, you know, a, a swing. I, you know, we, we, t- I think he was being talked about sort of as like a latest first round guy earlier in the year. Um, so I think, I think taking him and just like seeing what he can do makes sense, but didn't end up totally loving him as much as I thought I would. Yeah, I have him 52nd on my board. Uh, we took him 56th. I think it's the right fit. I don't really believe in him at all. I think he's going to be a very successful player in the Euro League for a very healthy career overseas. Mm-hmm. And I think that's fine. Uh, I did want to shout out at 57 here, we have the Warriors taking Scottie Pippen Jr. I just want to keep adding to the, the slew of NBA sons that they have on their roster. The pipeline. Yeah. 
So that's a lot of fun. And then I do want to talk about the 60th pick, which I took from the Indiana Pacers, which is David Roddy. Any, any David Roddy thoughts? I mean, he's like in the same vein of what we were talking about with Travion Williams, just like, just take some fun guys. Like anyone who's here is going to be flawed. Um, I don't know how much I believe that he's going to turn into a productive NBA player, but I love watching him. Uh, I loved watching him at Colorado State, and I think that he's just like a bundle of fun. Um, And if he does hit, then like, he is a weird, interesting skill set, and I think that like having having guys like that can be kind of hard to defend for teams. Like you know, it's sort of like throwing the change up. You're not always sure what's going to come. Um, I think at sixty, yeah, well worth a swing. Yeah, I mean, fairly low volume, but he did shoot forty three percent from three this year. As someone whose favorite college basketball team played and lost to. David Roddy and Colorado State multiple times. It felt like he never missed. Just a unbelievable mid-range game and just this weird old, you know, old school type of game. Uh, I haven't gone to the Pacers. Like he's a super fun player. Uh, I I see it. I don't necessarily believe in him, but I do see like how it could work out. It would be very interesting. Um, any other thoughts here? I know you wrote about a couple second round pick possibilities anyone that we didn't take in this draft um no one that we didn't take i will just shout out uh, we had caleb houston or houston at 45 to the hornets i think i think he's still an interesting guy um i don't think he like i i had him pretty high coming in just because i loved watching him at montverde um like he was he looked like just the absolute perfect role player playing along, like coming off the bench on those Cade Cunningham teams. And I really thought that that was going to translate. I, I don't think that it's a coincidence that the times he struggled have been for team Canada and here at Michigan, when he was asked to be, you know, more of the guy, like a top option. I don't think that's who he is, but I think that there's enough uh, there's enough to be worth a shot to see if you can get a like good. I, like, I still think the shot is there. He shot 35% and it was a pretty disappointing shooting season for him, I think. Um, and I, I think that if he like, if he can clean some stuff up, I think that he can be a high level shooter. He's not an athlete at all. He's like, I, I called him in my piece, a one level scorer. And that's just at the three point line. And he wasn't even particularly like, he was by no means elite at that level because he's, I mean, he, he's just awful at the rim. He gets he has no separation. He can't explode at all. He doesn't have a good mid range game. I, I, I don't remember exactly the numbers, but he was something like the 75th percentile off the catch and like the ninth percentile off of spot ups or I mean, sorry, off of uh off of pull ups. So he doesn't really offer a lot of creation, but you know, you stash him in the G League for a few years. I think he needs to build up a lot of, like, core strength. I think a, a, a big problem is he doesn't really have a lot of balance. Um, he can't, like, quickly find his balance after taking a dribble, and I think that's why he's so ineffective as a pull-up shooter. Um, so, yeah, not a guy that I think is going to reach the level that I did coming into the draft, but I do think there's a possibility of getting, you know, at least like, like an eighth man kind of wing out of that. If you really like 
buckle down and, and fix some of those flaws. I, like, I think the flaws are more fixable than some other players. Yeah, and he's a guy that I'm not particularly high on, but there are some conspiracies out there that he could have a first-round promise. Yep. Which is I, wild. I See, I've heard all that, and I think that that might be true because like, it all stems from him not participating in the Combine, which as a guy who had a very disappointing year is kind of weird. My alternative theory that I proposed in my article, and we'll do so again here, is that he knew how horrifically he tests in the athletic testing and didn't want to tank like any chance he has of being at least like a mid high level second round pick. That's just one theory, but like kind of in the same way that like Pat Baldwin tested horrifically in the athletic testing as well. I think that there's a chance that he's trying to save what little draft stock he has, but it could be that he had the first round pick or a promise. I would be very surprised though. I mean, all the reporting is that like, you see these things about like, there's 50 guys that think they're going in the first round. Right. And yeah. You know, when I talked to, to Raphael Barlow from NBA big board on the pod, he said, you know, there's from his sources, there's about 45 guys that agents think are first round picks. There are not 45 first round picks. So there are going to be agents that might be getting fired, you know, on draft night, there's, it's going to be a very interesting draft. Uh, there's a, a lot of, a lot of, lot of, lot of variety in where people think. And I imagine that will be reflected in, in NBA teams as well. There's a lot of prospects that have huge variants and where they could be projected and guys that could go 15 or 40. It's, it's an interesting class. It's, it's very unique. You kind of, you talked about it on top, but there's a lot of guys that do one or two things really well that could work out, but also it's going to be weird with how they're discussed and what the context is for where they're drafted. Everybody's expecting a lot of trades. We've seen a couple now between the Christian Wood trade, the Jermichael Green trade, and now the Jeremy Grant trade that, you know, have some sort of pick movement. All the reporting is that there should be a high level of, of movement in the draft. There's another couple names, you know, that we did talk about today, Malcolm Brogdon, John Collins, that are expected to be moved. It should be an interesting draft night. Do you have any final thoughts on on the draft as a whole, Eli? Just light those prayer circles for Jaden Ivey. That's it, man. He's the guy. That's it. I don't even want to like get my hopes up. Like, I, I really don't even like thinking about it because I, I think it's so unlikely. I know. I, I hate – so I, I sent probably like two, two and a half months ago in the TKW Slack, I was talking about how the Knicks need to find a way to move up for Jaden Ivey. Didn't think it was going to happen. I let that hope die away. I let the ember fizzle out. And then the last few weeks of getting this, like, increased reporting – and now, like, what seems to be very real rumblings of them actively attempting to has relit the candle. The flame is burning again, and I'm trying my best to keep it at a low simmer because I'm worried about what's going to happen when they inevitably end up, you know, trading down 
or you know trading out for a veteran i i can't handle that so i'm trying i'm going back and forth between this like giddy kind of like tomorrow's the day they're gonna maybe trade for ivy and like no don't think about that it's only gonna hurt you you know how the knicks are you've been through this before so it's interesting let me let me stoke the flame once here what right now what would you trade for Jaden ivy what do you give up for number four I would give up 11, 11 Dallas and another pick. No problem. That's on the board. And then I would put in Cam. I would put in, I'd put in Grimes, even though it hurts me because I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Grimes, but I would do it for Ivy. If they want Randall, they can take Randall. I don't think that that's going to be one of the, you know, I don't think that's in the cards because he doesn't make any sense with Sabonis. Put in, put in Rokas, put in Deuce. Try to keep quickly, try to keep Obi. If there's no way around it, I would trade Obi. But I, I, that would hurt. It would hurt to trade Obi. It would hurt to trade Grimes. But I would do it. Everyone else, take them. Yeah. I, open market, I want Jaden Ivey. Want him. He's the guard we've been looking for. Like, I know that people will say, oh, like he's not a pure point guard. Whatever. It doesn't matter. He's like that electric, dynamic can play on the ball, off the ball. Like he fits with quickly. He fits with Grimes. He fits with RJ. He fits with everyone that they have. Just go get him. Yeah. Also, like the first poster in the garden would just be like, feel like a real moment in the way that the Knicks haven't had in a long time. Yeah. And after this horrible, depressing season that they just had, like, it would just be nice. I'm not saying the Knicks deserve it, but I think the Knicks fans deserve something nice. Yeah, we deserve it. I think that's, we deserve it. that's fair. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we'll all join you in the prayer circle for Jaden Ivey. Anything to plug? Where do we follow you for those who don't know? Uh, so follow me. I'm at Eli underscore Cohen three on Twitter. Used to be the half court press. I have changed it up. The new look, new me. Um, Nothing to plug right now. I'll probably have an article coming out pretty soon. I'm mulling something about like the value of shooters in the league now, like shooting specialists when the league is trending towards everyone being a good shooter. Uh, So keep an eye out. That'll probably be out in a few weeks. But otherwise, just go on to make sure you're going to the TKW draft spaces tomorrow and uh, support the brand and support the team. Let's go. This was a blast. Thanks for having me on. No problem. And as always, you can find me at not the fake NC underscores appropriately. Uh, follow us at the Knicks wall for all the draft coverage. I have an article coming out today or draft day, the same as this podcast about some of those other first round picks we haven't covered. Uh, I will likely be writing a, a recap of, of the picks that the Knicks do end up taking. So be sure to check that out. And again, please join the spaces. We appreciate all the love and support we've had throughout this draft season. It's been a a ton of fun. There's been a lot to dive into and hopefully we'll have one more to, to kind of recap it all after, but thank you so much for, for joining us throughout the way and we will see you next time.